I'm glad the introduction was short and sweet so I don't have to live up to anything in particular. If someone introduces you and they say how great you are, then you're really nervous. And so uh, thank you for putting me at ease. And I do want to thank the church and your pastor Chuck for giving me the opportunity to fill in for him while he's recovering from such uh, major surgery. Uh, I retired from uh, the PCA as a pastor last July, and we moved to Las Cruces to be with our grandchildren. And so uh, uh, we're certainly enjoying life out here. Uh, we visited here a couple of years ago uh, when my son and daughter-in-law were living in El Paso, and we thought this was going to be our uh, church home. But as soon as they had their child, they moved to Las Cruces. So we made one visit here and was never back here uh, again, but not because we didn't uh, enjoy the church. In the bulletin, you'll notice that the scripture for today is Jeremiah chapter 12, uh, the first five verses. Uh, when I was working on this, right up until the first part of this week, we thought we were going to be in the new location, and I wanted to preach a message that was appropriate to the occasion. Now, if I stand up here and talk about the joy of being in a new facility, uh, you're going to wonder if I know where I am or what week it is. And so as soon as I found out that we were not going to be in the new location, I tried to work on something to fit the occasion for being the last week in this facility and challenging you on the move. Well, now I find out that we might be here next week. So. But that's all right. The, the message is based on God's Word, and uh, uh, hopefully you will find that it will fit the occasion. So the uh, message today is from Psalm 84, all 12 verses. Please let me read uh, Psalm 84, and please follow along. Now notice that uh, this is written to the, uh, to the choir master, and it's a psalm of the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were the gatekeepers of the church, but they were also the janitors of the church. Now, as I'm reading this, Notice how many references there are to the place where we meet with God in worship. Please follow along. It says, how lovely is your dwelling place. Dwelling place, the place where we meet with God. O Lord of hosts, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord, coming into his presence. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. 
O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. I know of a seminary student, and this seminary student did not accept the Bible as being inspired. And so he was at a Bible study with some other seminary students, and he challenged them to find anything inspired in a particular verse. In 1 Chronicles chapter 26 and verse 18. Now read that verse for you. He says, As for the colonnade, one on the west, there were four at the road and two at the colonnade. He says, find me something inspired about that. Well, in order to find something inspired about that, you really have to start reading two chapters earlier in 1 Chronicles. You have to start at chapter 24. In starting in chapter 24, it describes groups within the church and their assigned responsibilities within the church. By the time you get to chapter 26, remember, people were being assigned jobs within the church. When you get to chapter 26, the sons of Korah were assigned to be gatekeepers and doorkeepers. And that verse is telling where they will be assigned to work on the Sabbath day within the temple. Now, their title was gatekeeper or doorkeeper, and they were, but during the week, they were the janitors within the church. So remember, Psalm 84 is written by janitors within the church. And there's two things I want to point out here. When God appointed men to serve as janitors in the church, it was considered to be an honor. These janitors received special honor, just like the priests, by the musicians, and everybody else who served the Lord. Now, God doesn't appoint us to positions today as he did then. But if we're honest with ourselves... We all know things that need to be done within the church by volunteers. And especially when you move into a new facility, there's just things that are going to need to be done by someone who will just step up and do those things. Someone might not ask you to do it because they might not even know it needs to be done yet. But there's bound to be things that need to be done by volunteers within the church. So we basically, I know God is sovereign, but we basically get to choose the uh, labors that we do within our church. Secondly, the sons of Korah, the janitors, were so honored by the responsibilities that they were given that they wrote Psalm 84 expressing the joy that they had with their work. So we can enjoy Psalm 84, maybe a little extra, just because somebody challenged a group of students to find something inspired in the verse where it says they were assigned what to do within the church. Now think about serving. There was a man in my church one time that approached me and confessed that he had never really done much within the church. Of course, I already knew that, but it was good that he confessed it. <laughs> and he said 
that he wanted to start doing things within the church. He wanted to make a difference within the church, and he wanted me to talk to him about what he could do. Well, the first thought that came to my mind was he had a neighbor, and it was a widow, and she was just too old to be able to come to church anymore on her own. So I said, why don't you pick up Mrs. So-and-so and bring her to church? He said, no, 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 you don't understand. I want to do something big within the church. So I thought, well, you know, the, the windows all need to be washed. That's a big job. No, 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 he said, I want to do something major. And we had a big yard, and so I said, well, the men that do the yard work could always do, use some help. No, no, he says, I want to do something big. So I took a chance, and I, I mentioned our building fund. Well, he let me know that it was obvious all I wanted was his money. So, so anyway, we, don't, we went on with a few more things, but nothing was big enough and important enough for that man to do. So I assume he's still sitting in church, saying to himself, I volunteered to serve within the church, and they didn't have anything for me to do. Very satisfied with himself. So did he have a servant's heart? No, but he wanted to seem like he did. When we assemble in God's house, when we sing to his glory, when we present prayers, and we present our offerings, we confess our sins, we read in God's word, when we hear God's word expounded, when we celebrate the sacraments, and when we serve, we receive God's richest blessings that he has. Now, if you want to understand blessings from God, consider quickly three things in Psalm 84. And I'm paraphrasing just a little bit. In verse 4, it says, Blessings are for those who dwell and work and worship within Christ's church. Verse 5, blessed is the man whose strength is in God when we truly depend upon him and we serve him and we give back to him. Verse 12 says, blessed is the man who really trusts in Christ. One of our duties as Christians is to lead people to Christ and to your local church so they can share those blessings. The first four verses gives us special challenges that should lead every single one of us to ask ourselves some questions. Are you really longing to be in the presence of God? Is your focus during the week a focus showing anxiety to get into the presence of God? Now, you're in the presence of God every single day. The, 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 uh, the sons here are talking about coming to worship to a particular place to corporately worship God. Do you have any particular passion to be in the presence of God in a very special way at least once a week. If you don't have this longing, if you don't have this passion, ask yourself why. At least ask yourself that. Other uh, than you saying it, does your life reflect a passion to come into the presence of God during the week? 
Or do you think on Saturday, well, there's nothing else to do. I think I'll go and worship tomorrow. Now, think about yourself. The men who wrote these songs were janitors. They were working in the church all week. Even though they were there all week, they were anxious to get back on the Sabbath day to be in the presence of God differently than they were doing during the week. What service do you perform within the church? Now think about it. What, what service do you give other than attending worship service where you receive a blessing? How do you serve the church of Jesus Christ? Verse 2, he says, My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. They're saying, oh, just to be in his church. Well, they were already in his church physically, but it's a special way on the Sabbath day. So if a janitor who cleans and maintains the church during the week longs to come back and worship on the Sabbath, how much more should the rest of us desire the same thing? One of the most beautiful parts in, in uh, of this is verse 3, where it says, Sparrows and swallows have nests for their homes. We should learn from what we see in the beauty of God, providing a nesting place for his birds. First, in the Bible, sparrows, as you without doubt know, are almost worthless. In Matthew chapter, 19, Matthew chapter 10, in verse 29, it says, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin. That was the coin they had with the least value to it. And we should learn from what we see in the beauty of God providing a nesting place for the birds. And, and after it says, not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, it says, it continues, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. So what has the least value to man has tremendous value to God and this is given in the context that God provides a nest or a home for the, for the thing with the least value and if he does that for the birds how much more will he do so for each of us second look at the swallow as the sparrow was a symbol of worthlessness, the swallow was a symbol of restlessness. The swallow was often described of and written of as a bird that was always inflated, never rest. It's always flying from dawn to dusk. But when it comes time to lay its eggs and to have a family, it settles down, it builds a nest, and it cares for its young. Now the sparrow and the swallow both fit into the created world where God has placed them. They correspond perfectly to their environment. The only being in this world that's not fitted to its environment is man. Only man is separated spiritually from God and needs redemption. Augustine said our hearts are restless until they rest in God. Animals did suffer from the fall, but they don't need spiritual redemption. A bird can build a nest in a church building and be happy, but we need more than a nest in a 
uh, in a church facility. We need more than just to be here. As mankind, we need redemption because we have fallen spiritually. Now, when this psalm was written, priests lived in the temple permanently. That was a tremendous blessing from them. But with the coming of Christ, all believers are called priests. In 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 5, Peter is, is addressing believers, and he says, you are a holy priesthood. Verse 9, he says, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. So the question is, since all believers are priests, why do churches have empty seats on Sunday? Church attendance has really gone from being a privilege to something that we do when there's nothing more important to do or more urgent in our own minds. Most come to worship, but few come to actually serve within the church. Verses 5 through 7 in here shows us the heart of a true believer's Worshippers traveling to Jerusalem had to pass through what was called, as it's called in here, the Valley of Baca. Literally, that is the Thirsty Valley. For some people, it was really difficult to get to the temple to worship. They had to walk through this hot, dry valley. There was no food and there was no water, no place to rest there. Now, if there's a problem with you getting to worship, how do you approach it? Don't let the problem rule your life. Does the problem rule your life or is coming to the presence of God so important that you set aside whatever problem you have in the morning and you go to worship on that day? You see, our actions are an expression of our inner beliefs. Now, you can find reasons not to come to church this next Sunday. You can find reasons not to serve during the week. But don't ever let attendance take the place of serving the Lord through your local church. We should do both of them. You see, when you serve, you will really, honestly, truly be blessed by God. But there's a lot of problem with many people. They're so negative in life that they can't even see God's hand uh, uh, guiding them. The road to Christ, though, is not all problems. Roads are roads because someone went before us and they paved the way. Jesus Christ made the trip to God the Father before we are asked to do it. He's the one that paved the way. He's the one that made the road. He's the one that's given out the directions to get there. I know God is sovereign, but you know, he normally uses people to do his work and his will. In Old Testament times, it was mandatory to attend, to attend worship, so attendance didn't reflect their spirituality at all. Today, attendance is not regulated by spiritual law, but it does reflect, uh, reflect our spirituality. It reminds you of what is most important in your life. Verse 6 teaches us that we can make this journey uh, a spring, and a spring is the opposite of something that's hot uh, and dry. So we all have a purpose in life. For some of us, we're just trying to get through the day. Some people want security, or they want um, a larger income, and they want freedom from worry. Other people search for happiness or success in work. 
Those things aren't wrong, but they're inadequate. Think about yourself for a minute. How would you state your spiritual purpose or spiritual goal for your life? Or do you have one? If you have a spiritual goal or purpose, what are you doing to achieve your goal? Please consider how you can best serve this church now. Now, you're going to make a change from this location to another location. The easiest time for you to make a change and to start serving is when there's already a major change within the church. Next week is a great time to start if you're not already. I know one thing for sure. If you understand God's love, if you understand his forgiveness, if you understand his grace, serving him will just be part of the very fiber of your life. Verses 6 and 7, and he referred to making springs of fresh water in the midst of this hot, dry valley. Now there's a lot here to consider. Some don't see spiritual springs. They don't see blessings. They don't see grace. They don't see them where, the, where grace exists. A lot of people only see the dark lining of a cloud. If you refuse to believe the springs and the grace are here, there's probably nobody that can point them out to you. You have to go to the Lord and ask him to open your eyes. If you think you deserve more than you're getting out of church, you probably will stay thirsty. Now, if you have a problem, some kind of a problem with serving or, or something else. Think about that problem as an item in a box. It's wrapped in paper and it's tied with strings. Study the box, then open it. Study the string that's around this problem, then untie it. Study the paper that's wrapped around the problem, and then unwrap it. And then you might be able to see it as it really is, and deal with it. Somebody came to me a while ago, and they had multiple serious family problems. The only way I could deal with them was to separate the problems. And we dealt with the easiest one first, or what I thought was the easiest one first, and then we dealt with the next one. And then we dealt with the next one. We looked at them one at a time. They could see all of their problems as one great big problem and no way to overcome it. And they couldn't. We had to separate these things out. Moving, you may have to do this. We've, I've been listening to some of the problems that's coming up for this church during this week that have to be overcome to be there next week. But I think the church is doing what's right. They're working on these things one at a time. Verse 7 is a promise to us for the journey home. It says we have to go from strength to strength. We have to gain strength at our present level and then move to the next level. And the church is doing that. You are going from one level of strength located here onto what would hopefully be an increase in strength. We can dig springs in our valleys, but digging a spring takes grace, work, a willing heart, and determination. The first thing that you have to do, like with this church here, you have to thank God for the past, for bringing this church to where it is today. 
Thank him for all of that. Acknowledge what he has done for you in the past and then build on that. Now I want to tell a story about someone who has a problem and doesn't even know it. A professor I had in seminary, uh, he was a pastor before he became a professor. And this happened to him when he was the pastor of this church. He was eating breakfast one morning and he got a call from a husband and wife and they wanted to see him immediately. So he rushed to their house as fast as he could get there. They set him on a couch and they sat across from him in two chairs and they were smiling and happy and wringing their hands and they were right on top of it, uh, uh, spiritually, mentally. They told him that they had met in that church in Sunday school and, got, uh, and fell in love and got married. They'd had their children baptized in that church. Their children were raised in that church. They met people within that church and they got married within that church and they baptized their children within that church. They told him that God had really blessed them financially their whole life. And they'd come to that point now of where they wanted to return thanks to the church and thanks to God by making a financial contribution. So that's all good. Everybody's happy. Husband and wife sat down and they wrote out the check, smiled at each other, and they passed it to him open so that he could see how much it was for. Guess how much it was for? Think of an amount in your mind. Ten dollars. For ten dollars, they had repaid the church and they had repaid the Lord for an entire lifetime of contentedness and happiness. Now they have a problem and they don't even know it. I don't think that couple was so richly blessed by God. I don't think they understood. And I'll go through this quickly. I don't think they understood verses 8 through 12 of Psalm 84. I think it went right by them. Verses 8 to 10. Describe somebody, and read it this afternoon, describe someone who understands his needs, expresses his heart, and recognizes the power that God has given to him. The silence is right on track because he recognizes these things. In verse 11 it says, No good thing will God withhold from his people. God answers our prayers with what he withholds from us as well as to what he gives to us. If something is good for you, he will give it to you. If it's not good for you, he will withhold it. And you can trust him for that. In conclusion, in verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Some may say they trust in him. But if you have a list of excuses for not serving, examine your trust in God and make absolutely sure that it is intact and in line with the teaching within Psalm 84. Because it's easy to say I trust. It's easy to say I believe. It's easy to say all these things. Some take all that and put it in action. And others just use it like a pillow so they can sleep well at night. My pillow is made of grace. I sleep well every single night. Think about that couple, though. All the success in their lives. 
and they paid God back with $10. If $10 is all you have and you give it today, that's fine. But this wasn't their case. They were really blessed financially. Remember what Augustine said 1,500 years ago, our souls are restless until they find rest in thee. So one last thing. Let me just list a couple of reasons to go to church that are based on this psalm. There's other reasons in other places in Scripture, but I'm staying with Psalm 84. 84 would let us know that we can't worship him corporately from outside of the church. You can't stay at home and worship him corporately. You can't serve within his church if you don't attend. Your home is not a church. Doing dishes is not serving God. Well, if you help your wife, it's a little bit, but that's not what Psalm 84 is all about. You can't give financially to the Lord if you don't attend and worship. If you want to express your love for him, as the janitors did in Psalm 84, you can't do it sitting at home, having a cup of coffee, giving yourself warm, fuzzy feelings about how much you love Jesus. It just doesn't work that way. Read Psalm 84 this afternoon, over and over and over. And I think maybe you'll just want to serve with a little bit more joy than perhaps you have in the past. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we read a psalm just, uh, excu- uh, just uh, uh, overflowing with joy from some janitors who were in church all week long, but their focus was on the Sabbath day. Father, they served and served, and they did it with joy. Father, help us in our unbelief. Help us in our weakness of faith. Help us to focus on Christ. We talk about his grace. We love his grace. But Father, he gives it to us for a reason. Normally, he uses us, his people, to do his work here within the church and outside of the church. Father, be with us now as we move on within this service and we share the elements of communion together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.